Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading this morning is from Ezra 3, starting in verse 1. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we'll start there. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord both the morning and evening sacrifices. Now we're going to skip down to verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as described by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads, who had seen the former temple, wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people had made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Church family, it's good to be with you. Good morning. I'm not sure about you, but uh, the snow just started falling here about 10, 15 minutes ago. So I'm sure you are outside right now making your snow angels. You're enjoying that. Or maybe you're cuddled up in this moment of worship. It's good to be with you regardless. I'm excited about stepping into a new sermon series that we're beginning today. It's a series that that we've created called Rebuild. Over the next six weeks, we're going to look at two books of the Bible that are unfamiliar to many of us, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, in our Bible, these are two separate books, but originally they were one unified writing, by one author. And uh, the story is set in, uh, after the Babylonians had conquered the nation of Israel, they destroyed Jerusalem, and then they took the people off into exile. Later after that, the Persians, um, the Persians took over and they held the Hebrew people in slavery until they were allowed to return. Now, it is our belief with Scripture that these... Um, that this might be seen as a little bit odd, but this is our belief in Scripture that we believe that this historic account of this ancient city being rebuilt is, in this ancient Middle Eastern city can actually be formative to our life. That is the power of God's Word. The power of God's Word is that this is not just merely a story of way back then, but if, if we come to this story, when we come to Scripture, and we place ourselves underneath it, we believe that God still speaks through these words 
So this is not just some story about some ancient city being rebuilt. but This is a story about a God who's alive and active and wants to rebuild your life, wants to rebuild our community. This story begins with people in exile. After the Babylonians conquered Israel, they took many people to Babylon with them, and there they lived in exile, and they lived there for 50 years. 50 years of living in exile. You have to wonder what that was like. The sense of loss that they originally had. I wonder if they remained homesick after year after year. I wonder if they ever gave up. I wonder if the older generation would gather the children together and told them uh, what it was like to be in the promised land. Or I wonder if they just got used to Babylon. They actually enjoyed their life there. But then the prophets began to speak to the people while in Babylon. Prophets like Jeremiah began to speak on behalf of God in saying things like this, that while you are in exile, plant gardens, settle yourself down, uh, have kids, marry, give your kids away in marriage, increase in number, uh, keep living in many ways is what what the prophet Jeremiah was saying. In many ways, what he was saying is while you're in exile, Seek a full life. And going beyond that, bless, bless Babylon. Bless it. Do not curse it. Do not blame Babylon for what they've done. So I am the one that has carried you off into exile. And while you're there, pray for them. Seek peace. This is actually from uh, Jeremiah's words to this community in this familiar words, but in this context, it takes on a different meaning. It's in this context to people in exile who were struggling where Jeremiah said these words, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, all of your heart. And I will be found by you in these last words that probably stood out the most. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will do that. Once you seek me with all of your heart, I will be heard by you and I will bring you back to captivity. You know, as I consider this experience that we've gone through over this last year, 2020 um, feels like a Babylonian conquering. In many ways, against our will, we are taken into a new world where phrases like social distancing, Zoom happy hours, masking up, touchless payments all became normal. And we didn't choose to go into this place. We didn't choose to go into this lifestyle. We were taken into exile. And like people in exile, we experience incredible difficulties this year. Difficulties of relational loss, physical health, economic job loss. It's just been also a contentious year. It's felt like things have been really thin. The ice is thin. It feels a bit like we've been in exile. But Jeremiah's words might be as timely for us as it was for that original community. While you are in exile... Stay, don't, don't zone out, don't check out, uh, but instead, don't get stuck in despair, but seek life. And more importantly, seek me. Seek me, not half-heartedly, but with your whole heart. And I promise I will be found by you. And furthermore, I will bring you back. 
I will bring you back. After 50 years, the people there in exile, they do begin to call on God, and God hears them. And the book of Ezra begins with God speaking, and it's incredibly surprising whom he speaks to. This is uh, in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of the Cyrus king of Persia, in the first year of his reign, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus king of Persia to make a proclamation. And Cyrus, this distant king from this foreign land, said these words, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. And any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. Though we might think that the king of Persia, modern-day Iran, would be the enemy of this story, the person who is, who is in power, who is holding these people captive, God almost breaks his silence to speak to him. And what he's saying is that God appointed him to rebuild Israel. Though Cyrus was likely the most powerful person in all the world at that time, Cyrus sees that God had given him all of this, his power, his influence, his wealth, all of this that God has given him. He didn't earn it or achieve it, but God did that so that he could rebuild the temple the very place that he would not be able to enter, but somehow God is speaking to him. This king did not use his status to prop himself up. He believed that God did this. Uh, he didn't use his uh, power to, uh, to, he wasn't blinded by that power. All of it was so that he could serve a greater purpose. And this reminds us, this reminds us a little bit of warning to never underestimate who God might use to, God, to fulfill God's plans. God often uses the least likely, appoints them for a greater purpose. And so after this declaration was made, people were allowed to return, and many people chose to go back. Some didn't. Some people chose to go back, and they began the long journey home. One scholar I read said that this journey would likely have taken four months, four months of walking back home. I wonder in that walk, I wonder what the conversations were like. I wonder if the older generation would describe the sights of Jerusalem and its, and its splendor and its power, the, the walls that would provide protection. I wonder if they would tell the younger generation the smells, the fragrance of, of, uh, of, of the surrounding, the fields that was there. And after the long journey home, they get there and some people go straight back to their home. They try to pick up where, where life was left off in the generation before. Uh, but some people, they did something different. Some people had a different goal in mind. Others sought to begin differently. And that's what I want to talk about, beginning differently. They saw that there's a different way to reestablish life. And so what did they do? The first thing that they did is they went and they built an altar, the altar is something that's far removed from our experience of, of our religious life. The altar was the place where people not only worshipped God, but it was where they made their sacrifices so that they could be made right with God. Without the altar, there was no way to, to be a, uh, have your relationship reestablished with God. So in many ways, 
This is how they maintained their relationship. So the altar was like the center of their worship. It's for many people that were seeking there to rebuild this altar. It all began there. You have to start with that place. Now, what I find in life is that what we seek first matters. What we seek first is incredibly important. This reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew's gospel. Rather than chasing after wealth, beauty, or comforts, Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. For these people, they were beginning at the altar because they wanted all of their restoration to flow from that place. They were seeking it first because they wanted an intimate connection with God before anything else. Now for us, altars and making sacrifices feel ancient and weird and probably really removed from our life. And it's hard, hard to relate to. But we are people who innately are created to worship. This is not just some ancient practice. This is, this is how we were wired, we were created. One of my favorite voices from um, early, the early Christian tradition is a man named Augustine. And he was born in 350, uh, 350 in Algeria. And he was, uh, he was a man who was wicked smart. And before meeting Christ, he was quite wicked as well. <laughs> he uh, wrote about his love of food, of sex, of beauty, none, nothing that Austinites can relate to. But he in, had this encounter with God, and everything flipped upside down. One of the most helpful gifts that I find in uh, Augustine's uh, writings is he spoke about our innate, innate ability to worship. For him, this innate ability is found by seeing what we love. For Augustine, he taught that we are most fundamentally formed and shaped by not by what we believe or what we think or what we do, but we are shaped by what we love. This is what he said. For when we ask whether someone is a good person, we're not asking what he believes or hopes for, but what he loves. Or in other words, as I saw uh, written in a book about this, you are what you love. That's the principle. You are what you love. One might say, well, of course I love the right things. Of course I do. I love God. I love caring for the poor, living rightly. Of course, that's what I'm about. But Augustine would continue by saying it's not only, not, not only matters what you love, but it matters how you love them, and more importantly, the order in which our loves are. Augustine would talk about this issue as disordered loves, that's the problem with humanity. It's not that we love the wrong thing, but we have a disorder in our loves. And so, uh, for him, just as every heart was created to love and to worship, there's an order in which our hearts were created to love. And if we get those loves in the right order, life flourishes. And what he would say is that we were created to love God supremely that our love of God would be first. And if that's anything else, if there's anything else that's going on, if the love of God is less than, this is a disorder. And this is how destruction happens in our life. It naturally flows out. New York City pastor and author Tim Keller about this would say, disordered loves always leads to misery and breakdown. And the only way to reorder our loves is to love God supremely. 
The only other way to reorder our loves is to love God first, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, why am I saying all this? Well, the example of the people's desire to begin to begin at the altar is this reminder of the importance. If we want to rebuild our life, if we're looking at this passage and thinking about how we can rebuild our life, this is the example we find in Ezra 3, is that we need to establish our new beginnings by seeking to love God first, to begin there. And I wonder if what holds us back from rebuilding our lives well is not that we don't desire the right things, we just don't have them in the right order. God wants to be first in our lives, not because God is greedy or needy, but because God is actually loving. God knows that this is how we were created to live and that life flourishes when we love God first. We, this is why they began with the altar. And after they constructed the altar, then you find in Ezra 3 that they then turned to, they, they wanted to build the temple. In particular, they began by establishing the foundation of the temple. And they began to call. We find just some random names start piling in this story. Other people began to join the story of the rebuilding. Now, if you'd indulge me for a second, as I was reading that, I had a moment for me. I, like you, when I'm reading through um, books of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, when you come to sections where there's names, I, like you, just probably skip over. And Ezra and Nehemiah have a lot of those sections. They have a lot of sections of people's names being written down there. Now, what I think about it, though, this week as I was processing it, um, I don't think that these people that were, that were part of this rebuilding were special. I think that they did not expect for us to be citing their names 2,000 years plus later. Instead, I think there were people doing the right thing and people trying to live in community and reestablishing a new beginning together. And as I was looking over these names, many hard to pronounce, I had this moment where I began thinking of you. Been thinking, been, started thinking about you and how you have been building and rebuilding our church, the vine. And in the story that God is writing in our community, your names are written in preparing the altar and laying the foundation of our church and playing in worship, leading small groups, caring for kids, teaching them, teaching our kids how to pray and read scripture, dropping off meals, lifting each other up in prayers. I began to imagine what if God was writing the story of the vine, much like the story of Ezra, and just thinking about your names in this story about how you, ordinary people, were linking arms to, to build a community more than just for ourselves, but for our city. And I became full of gratitude. I became full of excitement in thinking about what God is building in and through us and being to get excited about what's in store for us in the building of our church. And I've been thinking about, man, there's a lot of work to be done together. And I, I was just filled with gratitude about that. These people, though, they were hard at work. They were laying this foundation, just like many of you are laying the foundation of our church. And once the foundation was laid, they stopped and they looked at it and they broke into worship. And listen to these words. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And when they break into worship, something unique happens. 
Like oftentimes when we have moments of true worship, we don't have a, a clear roadmap of what might happen, but the Spirit of God begins to work. And that happens here in this moment. And this is what happens. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads, people who had been there, like they like saw, saw the temple back in the day, who had seen the former temple, they began to weep aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. Now listen to this. No one could distinguish the, the sound of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. It's almost like poetry for me. The, the shouts of joy with the shouts of sadness blending together. Why is it that some rejoiced while others praised? Why is it that some rejoiced while others mourned? Uh, the younger generation was in the in their promised land, and they were experiencing something in front of their very eyes, that, that they were rebuilding the temple, the very place that they had heard of. And God had been faithful to bring them back. And so, of course, they would praise God. While the older generation broke into tears. Why is that? Well, maybe it's because they were seeing what was lost. They were reminded face to face of, as they saw the foundation of the temple, they probably remembered the temple in its glory. Maybe they remembered personally being in that temple with family members long gone in their worship of God and, and how they used to meet with God in that place. And they were face to face with what was taken away. And so this rebuilding in this section of Scripture ends almost with like this downer moment of this loud sound of joy and mourning. It ends with the uh, experience of excitement of what is new and the sorrow of what was lost. And as we are walking into this new year as a community, we gather, and I'm sure our hearts in this moment is a mixture of the sound of joy of what's before us and sorrow of the pain, the difficulties, the loss that we've experienced in this season. And I wonder if our hearts were to come together in honesty, if we truly were honest, I wonder if that sound would be loud, so much so to be hard to distinguish from one another. I know even for me, I have a mixture of both of these emotions in my heart. When it comes to the church, I have a sense of joy of a God who's been faithful to get us through a very difficult season. I have gratitude for an incredible team of people whom I get to serve with and uh, the excitement of what's in front of us. I really feel like that this is going to be an important and powerful year. And I could easily join in the voice of the people of Israel who say, he is good, he is good, he is faithful, he's loyal. But I can also mourn here in this room with like eight other people I can think about what was lost. I can remember being in Covington a year ago with a sense of excitement, of momentum going into a new year. Rooms full of people hugging each other, worshiping side by side, taking communion, uh, welcoming new people into our community and seeing 60-some-odd kids every single week go into their classrooms where they were loved on by, by teachers who knew them by, by the name and would teach them uh, how to pray teach them the promises of God. And in this moment, I could open up my own heart to God and have this mixture of joy and sadness. And I'm sure you can as well. And you know what? 
it's all worship to God. That God wants us to bring forth whatever is going on in our hearts. I think in that moment there in Ezra 3, that mixture of that sound is the sound for God of worship because it was built on the foundation of honesty, of honesty. And that, my friends, is where God works. When we can be honest with one another and when we can be honest with God. So as we seek to rebuild our lives in 2021, we come together to share our joys and our pains on the foundation of this year. And the good news is that we no longer need an altar. We don't need to rebuild it. The good news is we don't have to uh, require a temple. Um, Even Jesus, he would once be in that very temple that was rebuilt. And he would say, you could tear down this temple and I will build it up in three days. And Jesus was speaking about the temple that would be found in him. That when he was crucified three days later, he rose from the dead. So that we would know that we don't have to go to an altar. We don't have to go to a temple. That if we want to have an encounter with God, we go to Christ. We go and we seek him first. And we prom- and he promises that if we seek him first, that we will be found in him and he finds us wherever we are. Jesus came to rebuild all that we would need. And the more that we are moved by that reality, the more that we will realize that we love Jesus most. So as we begin our lives in Christ, may we find that we have a cornerstone to rebuild a new year, a new chapter, a new life. May we see that Christ is our firm foundation that will never betray us. So friends, seek him first. Build your life in him. Build this year in him. Let's do it together.